All right. Hey, how you doing? It's Pinder from Regina. It is the Steinberg Show as we do a little flippy floppy on this uh, road trip edition of Pinder and Steinberg, the Steinberg Show and the Sports Drive at 5. The Winter Classic, the Heritage Classic, coming up tomorrow from Mosaic Stadium, the Jets, the Flames, all the uh, festivities surrounding the huge game. The reason we're in Regina, and we got, a, I think, well over a dozen listeners with us here in Regina having a blast getting set for uh, a, probably one of the, the memories of the season that no matter how it goes, you won't forget anytime soon. Uh, a lot of Flames fans very excited to be here. We had a bunch on the flight last night. I saw Steinberg just arrived uh, from the airport. He is going to do a quick turn in the shower, get dressed, and he'll join us at 2 o'clock for the beginning of Pinder and Steinberg. Welcome to the program. We've got an incredibly busy show. We're going to chat with James Myrtle in three, four minutes' time. Todd Woodcroft, the assistant coach of the Winnipeg Jets, will get us up to speed on exactly what's gone on with this Jets season, the late disappearance of Dustin Bufflin, the subtraction of a lot of top four defensemen, Tyler Myers, who was basically their five last year when they are healthy, signs in Vancouver. Sherratt leaves via free agency. Truba disappears via trade. And uh, they do extend Calgary and Josh Morrissey, but that is about it for, I guess, continuity from last season. And we'll talk to the Jets' assistant coach about how they've uh, managed to survive with that incredibly green-blue line and perhaps the improved play of Patrick Lina, who all of a sudden is looking like a setup man in the NHL, which... I don't know that many of us saw coming. He looked like the pure finisher, but the stats will tell you he's done the opposite this year, setting up teammates more than he's finished on his own. Jeff Creever going to stop by at 2.30 to talk CFL with Patty. Tommy Wielden Jr. is in Hamilton, where Cavalry FC will play Forge tomorrow in the first leg of the CPL Championship tie. One game in Hamilton this Saturday. A week from tomorrow, back in Spruce Meadows and at Cofield, the CPL title will be handed out in Calgary in eight days, and we'll see where Tommy's head is at ahead of that clash between the two best teams in the CPL, seemingly wire to wire. It has been nonstop uh, cavalry or forge at the top of the table in both the fall and spring season. Jason Lack and Fora on a Friday. Patty and I have two locks and a dog, our NFL picks before 5 o'clock. Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine, a live Stampeders report with Maddie Rose. It is a rammed Friday from Regina, we are live at the Corner Pub at uh, our lovely hotel here, the Seven Oaks in Regina. Awesome. Can't wait to uh, get to tomorrow's show as well. We'll be live uh, from the, uh, I guess, the the celebration grounds, the festivity area. I don't even know what to call it. We'll be near Mosaic, outdoors, and could indeed have a conversation with the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, so stay tuned for that one tomorrow as we will have a full program leading you into the Flames and the Jets outdoors from Mosaic Stadium. Speaking of the Flames, last night's game, my goodness, what did I miss? We had a flight that left uh, around uh, 7.50-ish, so boarding and all that. Uh, NHL Live was not our friend at being a, a regional broadcast. It's the out-of-market games you get there, so... Didn't see much of that game at all, but kept getting the alerts. Like, what is going on here? 4-2 Flames, Will, and then boom, they give it right back. Down 5-4, it looks like they're losing. That's the goal horn. Yeah, are they running out of propane or uh, natural I thought gas? maybe they're in danger, but uh, yeah, not very often. You've got, like, what, 43 shots combined, 10 goals in. 
Yeah, I was looking at the save percentage numbers. That's that last night's not going to be one that helps David Riddick nor uh, Sergey Bobrovsky in the the season totals, and that that uh, could have mixed in a few more saves on both sides of the ice. It sounded like. Yeah, hundred percent. It was a weird game too because the first two periods, not a lot going on. Both teams fighting it heavily. Twelve shots apiece. It was a two-two game, and you didn't really know how it was going to end. Then Calgary scores two goals in the first. Five, six minutes of that third period, and it's 4-2, and Patty said to me right away, well, that's the game because the way it went the first 45 minutes, you didn't think you were ever going to see a a two-goal lead get given up in in that one. But uh, before you know it, it's 5-4 Panthers, and the Flames have to come back and score with less than three minutes to go to get a point. They get the extra point in the shootout, and the rest is history. But, yeah, bizarre game. Uh, was tight and just really weird to begin those first two periods. Then the uh, yep. floodgates opened up, and uh, it was turnover central in that third period, <laughs> Ryan. It was just mistakes everywhere, and uh, the teams were making each other pay because uh, you saw the score, 6-5 in a shootout, end up being the final. And uh, one of the Incredible. biggest takeaways for me um, Calgary's power play looks like they finally figured it out. Both units look good, yep. but then, of course, as you're about to talk about, uh, that second unit, get that shooting threat out there, number 27, Austin Zarnick, and uh, gets a power play goal to open the scoring. Uh, but now they're going to lose him for a, quite, a, quite a lengthy period of time. But as soon as he was put on that unit, that second unit started to take off, and, and now I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Uh, there's your transaction, Austin Zarnick to LTIR which is not a place the Flames would prefer to be in, but it's necessary for them to have the right number of forwards up with the club. Alan Quine recalled from the American Hockey League. I've really liked Quine's season. I've also liked Austin Zarnick's, and it feels like he was just starting to get going back-to-back games with a goal. He'd been playing with some good players, some skilled players, finally getting significant minutes. I remember six, seven games into the season, he's averaging like five minutes a game. Like, that's just not enough. He'd been in and out of the lineup, and just when he was starting to get going now he's done for at least 10 games that's the requirement of LTIR either that or 24 days so uh, too bad for Zarnik, but his injury is opportunity for Alan Quine and uh, number 89 for the Flames has been really good and a guy that I don't know if you're gonna be able to squeak over waivers another time if you need to given that uh, he's been that good at the NHL level it's a different type of player but not necessarily the worst kind of player to add to this group. He's dependable. There's some physicality. He'll go to the dirty areas, and he's got some versatility. He can play the left side. He can play center ice. Uh, That's a nice piece to have because you can move him around depending what you're trying to accomplish in that bottom six. James Myrtle joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Mr. Myrtle from Toronto, our show today from Regina. Sir, how are you? I'm good. I didn't hear who you were talking about. I just got the end of what you were saying. So I don't don't ask me what uh, to weigh in. Yeah, no, it's uh, Zarnik to LTIR and Alan Quine up from the American League. The, the small transactions that really only resonate in the market of the fan base. So nothing I was going to ask you about. But uh, what I do want to talk to you about, you've been covering this league for a long time. Uh, you are uh, uh, from Kamloops, B.C., uh, the NHL is now in Regina for an outdoor game. This is kind of cool, and I think for yourself, for fans of the game, and for anyone that's grown up in a smaller center, these types of things just I don't think will ever get old as long as it's one of those centers that you're near or you can get to. Have you been to an outdoor game yet? I went to the first one in Canada, the Edmonton-Montreal, back in '03. Okay. It was incredibly the, cold. and that was a freezing cold one, yeah. Unique. Yeah, I think they were 
the story was the Iceman, who I think uh, now works for the NHL, but used to be just the Oilers guy back in the day, buried the loony in Salt Lake City. He sort of had his thumb on the thermometer trying to tell NHL officials, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be okay here. But, like, it was very close to not happening. It was that cold. And uh, it, it was cold. I remember watching the first two periods from Commonwealth seats and the third from some sort of concourse that had hot coffee with a little booze in it. So that that was our solution. To the <laughs> They, they're they're great, you know, and like they're not that great of like a national TV event, really. But like as a, like a spectator, for lack of a better word, I was going to say a spectator spectacle. Like as a spectacle, they're they're good. Like they're I, I've been to two. Um, the one that stands out for me is the one at the Big House in Ann Arbor that the Leafs and the Red Wings played on New Year's Day, uh, twenty fourteen. I think it was 2014. Was it 20? Yeah, it was 2014. And that that one was that was ridiculous. It was completely. It was so cold. It was like minus. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't prairie cold, but it was like minus 15. Um, sure. There was snow just bucketing down. It was hard to walk in the stadium. Like I, the first thing I did when I got there, I had to take a bus from from Detroit where I was staying. And it was just like blizzard, and like the visibility was brutal, and like driving was brutal. And, like, I, I did a walk around the whole big house, which is, like, one of the biggest stadiums in the world, if not the biggest stadium in the world. And it was mayhem. Like, it was just, like, you're walking through all of this slushy crap, snow. And there was, like, they had these, like, golf cart things that were, they were using as, like, makeshift, like, ambulances to, like, carry injured people around. And, like, people were falling and people had frostbite and, like, people were, like, way too drunk. And this was before the game started. And like, it was like, it was crazy. There were people everywhere. The lines for the bathroom were like unbelievable. People were like urinating in like stairwells and stuff. And it was just like, it was like something out of like Mad Max or something, this event. And like, and it's so funny because I did my walk all the way around. You got in an elevator, go up to the press box and you go in the press box and it's like, there's like nice music playing. And then they had like chicken skewers and like, it's all inside. And it's like a big window that you're looking through. And it's just <laughs> all the people that paid hundreds of dollars to go to the game are out there like fighting for their lives, watching this event. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm with the, uh, felt like we're with the aristocrats watching the game. And what's funny is you opened by saying it was memorable and amazing. I think it would have been, but there was just an element of chaos, and that's kind of what happens when you take an organized indoor sport and you throw it out in the elements in a, a, a venue you've never used before for the sport. I mean, there is that sort of element of something crazy could happen here and, and probably will. It was awesome. Like, honestly, that's one of the most memorable hockey games I've ever covered, and it probably will remain so. And even the one they did here, which is the second one that I covered, was, was here at, at – BMO uh, Stadium, which is the soccer, the TFC soccer stadium here. Small stadium, but it's got it's really got a really good atmosphere to it, and you can see the city skyline. And so they did one here on New Year's Day uh, a few years later, also against the Red Wings. And you think like, well, like it doesn't really have like it doesn't have the grandeur of the big house. It doesn't really have the scale or anything like that. Even that, the atmosphere was really really good. And there's something special about changing the venue and changing the scale and changing. I don't know. It works. It works as an event. And like I recommend to people, you talk to people that go and very few people say it wasn't worth it. You know, you talk to anyone that was at that big house game when that comes up with fans or whatever that were there and everyone's got a story and everyone like it was just it was a very, very memorable experience. And 
you know, I, I expect that'll be the case in Regina as well. I, there have been a couple of these outdoor games that have been a dud, but for the most part, um, being there and, and seeing it and taking in something different um, is worth it. And I think that I think snow is great. Like if you can get the snow factor, then that's then then it kind of brings back what you're talking about, small town Canada and like that kind of stuff. Uh, it's funny. I, I'm going to reference two of your boys, uh, Eric DeHatchik, who you worked with at the Globe for ages, and Chris Johnston one of our NHL insiders at Sportsnet, and they both had uh, referred to different outdoor games as incredible, like, never-will-forget moments. For DeHatchik, who spends a lot of time in California, it was that first stadium series game where I think Kiss performed, and they had the Ducks and the Kings, and that, to me, was amazing. Um, And I don't usually watch a lot of these things, but that was one that I felt like I had to. I don't know why. Maybe it was because it was a warm-weather market or because I believe it was Dodger Stadium, but that was a really cool one, and DeHatchik had mentioned that, and Johnson had mentioned the one that you're referencing, which is Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he had said that just the half blue, half red, how the fans, 110,000 people, like it just right. it felt like the stadium was painted with these two armies that if only they could reach each other would start fighting. Well, yeah, and then a team scored, and it's like one side would go, you know, just like this guttural, like loud noise, and it was, it, it's, it, I mean, I guess college football fans are spoiled in, in but yeah yeah to the way they sold the tickets was the one half all went to Leafs fans and the other half went all the Red Wings fans and you could you we were sitting on on the 50 yard line and you could see it and you could hear it it was it was really really neat I think uh, John Collins is the executive that'll get a lot of credit for the expansion of the outdoor games no longer with uh, the NHL uh, but a guy that under Gary Bettman uh, I guess would have grown revenues in a big way through these. Um, just a thought on on what this uh, these events because there there are a bunch now. It's not in Canada all the time, but there's always the game in the U.S. on New Year's Day, and then there's the Stadium Series games. Um, what what does this mean for the NHL's portfolio in this age where they're trying to increase HRR as every person in business is trying to increase revenue? But it seems like a pretty important staple to to the business. Is that fair? Yeah, and the thing you see too is that even though these have been going since the first one was in Buffalo, right? And what year was that? Like, I was going to say 2010. It was earlier than that. I think it was 2008. So we've been going for 11 years on these, and there's still a clamoring in the market for them. Like, I think Dallas has one coming up in, in, in a few weeks or a month or whatever. And you know, I've seen Minnesota Wild fans being like, "Oh, the Stars get a game before we get a game," and what the hell? And like, like there's still markets that want these. There's still a cachet there. There's still fan bases that want to take part in them. It's not like this is played out. I think it's played out as like a national TV event on like New Year's yeah. Day. Like that's not really mm-hmm. like a New Year's Day is not really. I like I don't know. Like I watched a lot of those on TV. And it's like eh, I don't know. This is, this is not like it's not what you do on New Year's Day. Like it hasn't become like a thing that that's what you do. But they could somehow find a way for it to if they could find a date or something that made more sense. That maybe the date doesn't matter. Maybe it's more about like I I think what you're talking about with Dodger Stadium. Like I think they just got to go to the weirdest places possible and like yeah and and, and that the spectacle part of it is just so important. Because, like I said, the, the big house was like they should play, they should do a rematch of that game every like four years or something. Like it was so sure. good, and it probably made tons of money for the NHL. Why not do it again? Like I don't understand why they should just keep doing it. It worked. Yeah. It was amazing. And just get the, it, I, you know, it's too bad it's Leafs in Detroit, but it's fine. And there should be like a Leafs 
Canadians want. There should the rivalry teams should have an outdoor game every three years, and I don't. We haven't yeah. gotten to that point where they're doing that yet. It's weird because it felt like it's reached a saturation point, but I agree with you. It's only from a TV perspective, regionally and locally, and at those venues, it's still incredibly popular and high in demand here's the slate for this year uh tomorrow from mosaic stadium we're here live in regina uh it'll be the flames and the jets uh interestingly to the the great match we've all been waiting for in atlanta the the former atlanta flames and the former atlanta thrashers <laughs> going head to head january 1 it'll be at the cotton bowl in dallas texas with the stars and preds that's a pretty unique venue that's huge and i know they'll be fired up there those warm weather markets that this is the once in a lifetime opportunity it feels like for them and then the stadium series game is going to be going from falcon stadium at air force academy in colorado and that's the kings and the abs uh the leafs were involved in a game from the navy marine corps in annapolis maryland uh, last year, like what you're talking about is exactly what's happening. City Field hosted the Rangers. Like they're going to some really unique spots now, not just the football stadium nearby. Well, I think there was talk about maybe doing one at Parliament Hill in Ottawa, wasn't there? And like with like makeshift, they sh- they should just do like some ones that have like really unique scenery and like even if you're doing temporary stands and things like that. And you know, I, I know over in Europe they've done like they did one in in Red Square in Moscow, and they did one in That's right. wasn't it? It was in like an ancient coliseum or something in like Croatia. I think they had a game. There was an outdoor game over in that when the KHL had a Croatian team, and like there's, I think there's still more potential that I, I I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but you know, I think you could, I think they could do some really interesting things if if they think outside the box a little bit more and and just pick some weirder and weirder venues and so. Last one for you. Uh, we may be sitting down with Gary Bettman tomorrow and ahead of the Heritage Classic, that's going to be a good time to check in and talk about league business. There has been, I don't want to say a quiet confidence, but certainly a lot of reporting about much more productive negotiations between the PA and the NHL. They didn't finish negotiating an extension ahead of that deadline to reopen the CBA, but they did keep it at its original full-term length and word is they still continue to communicate on a lot of the issues for both sides, um, be it the PA and the league on, on an extension. What is the latest you've heard on CBA conversations and, and do you see um, a, a horizon here with a lot of labor peace as opposed to what Bettman's early career legacy is, which is three labor stoppages? Well, that's the way everyone's talking. Is that the 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 talking has been very positive? The the public facing message on this, and like like that's unusual, you know. And most of the time, there's a lot of posturing, and there's it feels inevitable that it's going to be a lockout every time. And we're not getting that here. And I mean, the big things are the players don't like escrow. They don't like that they lose you know 14 percent of their check every year. And I don't blame them. Well, you know, in some ways, I do blame them because they they have an impact on they can make a decision on how high the cap goes and things like that. And for years they pushed the cap. They agreed for the cap to go 5% higher every single time. And uh, that's part of why escrow went up. So, and, and the other thing that pushes escrow high is always negotiating contracts that are heavy, heavy front loads. You know, I'm, I, I can't remember what Matthew Kachuk's deal was, but I'm sure it was. And, you know, all the Leafs guys got like very, very heavily front loaded deals. And that means that that money comes out of, the escrow calculation for that particular year that the signing bonus is really big in the first year or two of a contract. And that takes money away from the other players around the league. So if you're some guy making a league minimum deal, 
uh, you're not getting your 700K because John Tavares and Mitch Marner are getting their 15 million in this year. So, you know, that's one thing that the players are frustrated with. I think that there's probably a solution there where they can get escrow down to, they can probably get it down to 5% or something like that. And, but what that might mean is that the cap growth is the cap stays relatively flat. Um, And the other thing I think that is important from the player's perspective is the Olympics, you know, and it's been interesting. I, I wrote about this earlier this week about the NHL and China and some of the implications there because of what's happened with the NBA and China and Daryl Morey and, and all that. Um, you know, I asked Bill Daly at the NHL if they were rethinking kind of their China strategy, and he said no. Um, you know, the NIG talk about, you know, the, these outdoor games. They're playing, they're planning to play a lot of preseason games in China over the next yeah. six or seven years, and they're planning on really trying to monetize China more aggressively than they have. And the Olympics are part of that. And honestly, I'll be surprised if the NHL doesn't go to the Olympics in 2022. I think that's going to happen. And I think that's going to be part of these talks. I agree. Here's the challenge I see, and maybe you can figure it out. I can't figure out the Rubik's Cube. I think they want to be there for the exact reasons you said. It's a massive market. It's a very, very elite, uh, wealthy Chinese sport there in terms of my conversations with people that have gone over there for years and years and years like this is the the wealthy of the wealthy love this sport want to be a part of it they're building rinks at an incredible pace like the nhl knows there's a huge market here uh that they want to be involved in but how in the world can they negotiate this and put this in a cba when the other component is that they want the ioc to pick up the tab on costs the moment the nhl and the nhlpa say we're going haven't they lost all their leverage with the IOC to say you guys have to pick up insurance and travel costs? Well, I mean, Ryan, what did the IOC do last time when the NHL asked them to pick up the costs? Like, how far they did didn't. that go? Well, yeah, so what, there's no leverage point there. Like, the IOC is not all of a sudden going to they, – they had the Winter Olympics in, in South Korea last time. They, the NHL wasn't there, and the games didn't end, you know. The, the bureaucrats that, that, at the IOC still made their money. You know, I yeah. don't think that there there's no one there that's like, oh no, we got to get the NHL in China. That like, I, I think it's a non-starter that that the NHL is going to be able to get some kind of arrangement like that. Yeah, and what happened in Russia apparently is uh, the, the the people that control the money in Russia made sure it happened, and I would think the same thing could happen in China given yeah. uh, the size of that economy yeah. and and the mutual interest, not just in the NHL being there, but the Chinese wanting to have the best athletes in that showcase event for the Winter Olympics. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, that might be the solution there. And it's and the IOC, you're right. They've done a really good job of not sharing revenue with anyone. They just keep it all and pretend that, you know, they're there to help amateur athletes when they're just pocketing these billion-dollar TV deals. Who knows where that money's going? I don't see them uh, – I don't see them bend into the NHL's will at all. So um, – but I do think – I think the NHL's just going to go. Like, they, this is, like, kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. If, you know, they're serious about China, and I know they are – um, and they've been spending money there. They've been spending money on growing grassroots there for a few years now. Um, they're going to go. You know, they're going to go. And I think the ISC knows that they want to go. So, Good chatting. Thank you, sir. And uh, watch for us on the broadcast. We'll be the uh, the group from Calgary that's uh, wearing the, the flame stuff. I'll be in the press box. How's that? Is it, is it going to snow, Ryan? You got, I hope it snows there. And I hope it's like it, minus 18. Uh, you know what? And... It's... It's very above seasonal. It's going to be like 15 to 20 here today, but it does cool off a bunch for tomorrow, and there's like a 30% chance of precipitation, but highs Mm. are right around zero. I mean, maybe we could get a centimeter or two. It would be good for TV, I guess, wouldn't it? 
It looks, it, I don't know. Look, the snow globe thing, it's the best. So yeah, anyway, have fun. Is. I'm sure that'll be great. Hopefully you can find some more coffee that has booze in it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be that as cold as Edmonton. Thanks, man. Good chatting. Yep, see ya. James Myrtle joining us on our guest hotline, of course, brought to you by our good friends at Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344, and you can find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. We'll come back with the assistant coach of the Winnipeg Jets, Todd Woodcroft. It's been incredibly uh what uh, roller coaster like opening of the season with a very new looking blue line, and we'll get the story on the Flames opponent for tomorrow's Heritage Classic when we come back. It's the Steinberg Show with Pinder, Sports at 960 The Fan. The Steinberg Show brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase an Atlas and you can get up to $4,000 bonus cash and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com. We are live in Regina. It's Pinder filling in for Steinberg. He'll join us at 2, a little swip, uh, switcheroo, swaparoo, something like that. As he flew in today, we uh, got in last night. Heritage Classic tomorrow, Flames and Jets. And with more on the home team, question mark, yeah, the Winnipeg Jets, their assistant coach, Todd Woodcroft, joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Coach Woodcroft, how are you, man? Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good myself. We are well. It is uh, well above seasonal in Regina, as I'm sure you've noticed. You guys uh, got to the Queen City today, is that right? Yeah, we got here. I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw you walking down Albert Street with your Speedo, so I know how, how you like to enjoy the weather here. So it should be, should be a good good day here. <laughs> it's the 240-foot water slide. you got to be ready and dressed to impress. That's right. <laughs> it's been an incredible uh, change year over year for your club. Uh, I, I imagine you would have anticipated some change on the blue line, but the combination of trades, departures via free agency, being up against the cap, and then Dustin Bufflin's, I guess, um, indecision on whether he wants to continue to play hockey or not. I mean, could you ever have imagined this much turnover, even uh, just as recently as the spring? Well, I, if you look at how our D was made up last year and, and four of our top five guys are, are currently not playing with us, whether that's Tyler Myers or Jake Truba, Dustin Bufflin, that's the whole right side from last year. And then you throw in a valuable player like Ben Sherrod, who's now in Montreal. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a challenge for sure. Um, but at the same time for the young players that have come into the organization, just like on any organization, they have a chance to ask themselves, uh, you know, a question like, do you just want to play in the NHL or do you want to be an NHL player? So guys like Neil Pionk, Josh Morrissey, a Calgary guy who we just think the world of, these guys now have time to define their game. And then, you know, young guys like Billy Heinola, who are getting a chance to play right now, like, you know, they might not be uh, household NHL names right now and whatever, you know, inexperienced guys like Billy have. Uh, they they have a chance to make up for it with with some effort, which they've done a real good job. For Heinola, give us a little more background. You guys just drafted him. I imagine you would have had him at a prospect camp. What did you know about him uh, when the pick was made and then the early viewings you had of him? What were your thoughts? Did you ever think he could break camp with the club? Well, the, I, the first thing I'd say about him was that, that, that he came over in the Jake Truba trade. So for Jake Truba, we actually ended up with Neil Pionk, who has been outstanding for us, 
you know, and we had seen him only uh, a couple times last year when we played the Rangers, didn't know anything about him. But when we traded Jake, when, when Kevin Chevaldeyev traded Jake um, to the Rangers with the pick that we got back ended up being Billy. And, and of course, the coaches, we don't we don't really have an opportunity to know who the players are that are going to be drafted or could be drafted really until they become part of your program. So we first saw Billy uh, on the draft floor in Vancouver that night and got to meet him and his family. And then, you know, just a couple of days later, we were all on the ice together in Winnipeg for our development camp. And, and uh, we had a chance to see him and, and right off the bat, there was, you know, talk from all the coaches and our development staff about how, how good this guy is already playing against guys who are 22, 23 years old. We had a couple 24 year olds that are there that have been professional players for a long time. And Billy was able to step in, uh, play calm, um, move the puck, do his job right. And, and, and impress us right off the start. And, and when Charlie Huddy, who coaches RD, who has five Stanley cups is all the flames fans would probably know, um, when, when he starts talking about this guy right after the first practice about how, how good a player this guy is going to be, it's, it's something that the rest of the coaches take notice of. Yeah, no question. Uh, conversations we've had in the past, I always like bringing up Calgarian Josh Morrissey. You guys extended him a year ahead of his uh, RFA summer, uh, getting that out of the way, probably something Kevin Cheveldayoff was happy to do after two pretty difficult negotiations this past offseason. But the player himself, what can you tell us, about uh, the 24-year-old Calgarian, because I think he's quietly moved right to the top of your depth chart. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if it's quiet anymore. Like, this is a guy, and, and I remember talking to you about him before, Ryan, about this is someone to keep an eye on about how good he is and was under the radar, we felt, for a long time. Almost like a like a Vlasic in San Jose, where other teams and fans in other markets might not have a a chance to understand the importance of, of a player like Josh. But, you know, when you see good players, what makes them good or what makes them great? It's, it's, it's really doing the same thing every single day, even if it's boring, even if it's not like sexy hockey for a lack of a better term, like you're not going to see Josh rushing up and down the ice and you're not going to see Josh like scoring, you know, 45 goals he was capable of that in junior and, and he probably still is capable of it, but he understands it for us to win that he has to be the defensive presence that he is and what a great skater, what a great stick he has. And then, you know, you, you said first talk about it as a, as a player, but I almost think that the person of Josh Morrissey supersedes him as a player because his value in our room, his value in the community and for him to, to decide that he wanted to sign a, a, that that long extension with us and be a part of what we're trying to build and Kevin Chevaldeoff and obviously Mr. Chipman are trying to make in the city of Winnipeg like this, this is the guy you want to have on your team to represent everything you want all your other players to be he's he's fantastic Chatting with Todd Woodcroft, assistant coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, walk us through your season. You had that incredibly difficult start to the year, a three and four on the road, mm-hmm. one game at home, and then right back out. Uh, and, of course, you had to open up against Truba and Broadway. And you ended up, I think, being 500 when that incredible stretch was done. But you, the last five games have been a little tougher. No regulation wins in there. What, what's been the evolution of, of the season so far? Well, I mean, every team has difficult schedule challenges. I mean, we're not the only team that has it. I think we had nine games in 15 days to start wow. to start the season. 
the hardest part for us uh, travel-wise is that every other single team in our division is not in Canada. So every time that we're flying somewhere, we have to cross the border. So if Edmonton plays Calgary, it's just a quick flight. You guys play, uh, you know, Calgary plays Vancouver. It's a, you know, there's no terminals. You get on your plane, you go, you get off, you come home. We have to cross the border every single time we play someone in our division. So those minutes, they add up. But, it, you know, so far, I don't know if we can use that as, a, as an excuse. Um, everybody's a professional. It's not like we're traveling on a, on a school bus to these places. We have everything you could ask for. We have the best hotels, best food. We travel right. So at some point, that stuff catches up with you. But I think it's more towards the end of the year. And hopefully the hard part of our schedule that is now will e- help us when it eases up towards the end of the year. Last one for you. Patrick Line has been uh, sure. a setup man and uh, seemingly uh, has approached this season with, uh, uh, I guess, a, a hunger to be better. And I, I know it wasn't the greatest of seasons last year for him, and, and yet he still had 18 goals in a month or something crazy like that. What have you seen from uh, the young sniper early on? Well, he's a special talent. So the first thing that Paul Maurice would, would tell any of all our players is that we're not really judging you on your offense we're going to judge you by your compete now when you have a freakish talent like patrick has uh the first thing that is always going to jump out is a goal score but what we asked of patrick um going into the summer was to understand that it's not just about scoring it's about creating scoring opportunities for other players for your teammates and since he's so marked when he's on the ice by the opponents he's actually done a great job of and you're talking about his assist there of just learning how to use his teammates and his line mates and put pucks in the great area so for us as a coaching staff we're, we're pretty excited about it uh him understanding he just doesn't have to score goals to be valuable to the jets and and like a lot of the best goal scorers that you've been watching since you're a young guy myself the brett halls uh even the, the mike bossies they were also able to make plays and, and patrick has got such a great set of hands and his skill set isn't just limited to shooting. He, he's such a great playmaker, too. He's so strong on the walls. He's so strong on the pocket. For a kid who's 21, who's, huh. you know, most 21-year-olds are sitting at home playing video games or whatever, you know, Patrick's working on his game. And, and all summer long, I know that personally, he was working on his game and working on his craft and learning how to do things besides just shooting and scoring. Really great catching up with you. Uh, cool that your club will be a part of the outdoor game tomorrow, and uh, we'll wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Ryan. Good luck to you, too. Take care. Todd Woodcroft, assistant coach of the Winnipeg Jets, joining us on our guest hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Got to tell you, the Eric Francis Show runs Monday mornings, 9 till 10. You can catch the Francis Show brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta, Live thoroughbred racing back Saturday, Sundays, and holiday Mondays at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. Don't miss Francis and the ever-scorching takes Monday, 9 until 10. We'll come back with three burning questions from Regina, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Steinberg Show, brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase an Atlas and you can get up to $4,000 bonus cash and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com. Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on The Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
All right, we are live from Regina. Pat's not just kidding. It's Pinder. Steinberg's <laughs> going to join us in six minutes. Will Nall, three burning questions. What's up? Well, let's uh, start. We just talked about it in Come the break. Come with us. Uh, as uh, we have a trade in the NHL. Just What? Right, your reaction. Eric Goodbranson going from Pittsburgh to Anaheim for 29-year-old AHL forward Andreas Martinson in a 2020 seventh-round pick. Goodbranson signed through next season with a four million dollar cap hit, why? It's certainly the type of defenseman that uh, that Bob Murray's been trying to add. Um, I don't. I'm not a big Branson fan. I, I think he's overpaid as a third pairing gritty guy that really doesn't excel at moving the puck or creating offense or playing on the other end of the rink. But we've seen a lot of uh, guys like this end up in Anaheim, be it a Shen. They tried to sign Spiza, but the Jets claimed him off waivers because he had to re-enter. Uh, and the Jets clearly thin on the blue line, as we just heard from Todd Woodcraft. So I get it in the sense that it's a, it's it's right in line with what you'd expect Bob Murray to do when he tries to sign Lucas Biza only to have him plucked away. And the cost really isn't that high. Martinson is, is not, you know, the, a high-impact player. It's a seventh rounder, not a high pick. They clearly are looking for more depth on the blue line, and, and this does it for them. That said, I think there's a lot more progressive general managers out there that would have no interest in adding Eric Branson with that kind of a price tag left at $4 million a year for uh, not just this season but next. They're going on the road down 2 nothing tonight. It is Game 3 of the World Series. Ryan, how do the Houston Astros get back in this thing with the Nationals? They need Zach Greinke to look like a Cy Young winner. He His, his best outing of the postseason was only four and a third innings against the Yankees, and while he you know wasn't perfect and didn't give up a ton of runs and sort of got through there they needed someone to come out and eat six seven innings that's why this guy is making incredible dough around 30 million a year that's why this guy has a Cy Young on the trophy case and that's why they went and added this guy ahead of the deadline to a rotation that already had Cole and Verlander they need Grinky to be great and of course we know the numbers with runners in scoring position. They're hitting like a buck twenty-five uh, with runners on. That's not going to be good enough. But I have less concern about Houston hitting the baseball because they've done it all year long. It's a dry spell. They'll come out of it. I think I'm more concerned about Granky, who's really not been dominant this postseason at all. Well, it's Friday night. You're in Regina. I'm not sure how you're going to experience things this evening. But uh, what is on the agenda? <laughs> Who is going to win more money? At Casino Regina, you or Steinberg? I don't know. The, the, the Uber driver that I've now had twice in three trips in an Uber in Regina, which I think is phenomenal and it blows my mind that that's even possible. Uh, he said, don't go back. You know, you, you, you're up a few dollars. Just, you know, call it a win. He's looking out for me, giving me some life advice. So maybe I'll, uh, I'll take the pass on the Nino tonight. Well, I you got to show Patty the ropes, though. Come on, you got to well, show him around. You were and there. to be fair, I can I can give him directions there, but I, I might stick to the cabbie's <laughs> orders. It's uh, that that said though, if if you're out late, if you're howling at the moon and everything else is closed, that poker room's still open. So if uh, if I'm bored and awake late, maybe that's the move. But uh, I I think uh, very lucky to be up, you know, tens of dollars, like upwards of twenty two dollars, perhaps even as much as that, with a free couple hours of entertainment playing cards with a couple of the pals. Yeah, no doubt so. about it. Well, you guys, well you I'll take the to, win there. Yeah, you don't have to work until uh, 2 o'clock Saturday. So I guess instead maybe of the uh, the gambling who takes more home, uh, maybe who downs more pints tonight is the appropriate <laughs> question. 
Well, I would say that's uh, that's going to play to one of our strengths more than the others. But I did find Michelob Ultra you on did, tap. You did, your, you did your boy some work last night. You did a little work and for him. we are live from the Corner Pub here at the Seven Oaks Hotel. Oh, tell me Virginia. they have it, too. They've got it on tap wow. here. So uh, it, it would be a bit of the underdog play. But it's the right kind of environment to bet on, Pat, if you were going to. Love it. I wouldn't recommend doing that, but things are lining up. It's a good little environment. Things are showing up Steinberg in Regina. Fair enough. Indeed they are. Love it. We'll come back. Good job with three burning questions. Pinder and Steinberg kicks off in mere moments. Live from Regina at the Corner Pub, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This Steinberg Show, brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. FifthAvVW.com.